Hello, everybody, and welcome back to, to Rush Hour in the middle of this fucking town, because apparently every car in the fucking world goes by my goddamn window every time I record. You're, you're a little young to be an old man screaming at kids on your lawn, dead man. <laughs> no, I'm a fucking youngin screaming at the old people on my fucking on the road outside my house. You goddamn old fuck, stop driving to pick up your groceries. Just stay at home and die like everyone else. <laughs> I'm breaking trends uh, here, man. Anyway, I'm dead. Every day we have Birdie. I am internet reviewer. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Goblin Slayer, man. So yeah, uh, this one was kind of important to both me and Dead Man because we're both fans of the manga. I haven't touched the light novels, have you? Uh, no, I'm not much of a book guy. I've been mainly focusing on reading the manga whenever they come out. And by manga, I mean the plural because I read all of them. All, all three of them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read the current story, the backstory, and the side stories. Because... I just kind of like Goblin Slayer, man. It's it is a it is a well told, interesting, uh, like regular fantasy stuff with this with this weird meta layer where it's all just a D and D game. Yeah, and the anime kind of plays that up because at the beginning of episode three, before the opening credits, they have a a world background, which is just overlaid with throwing uh, D10s and D20s. Okay, yeah, so we get the gods of chance. <laughs> to whom Goblin Slayer says, eat my dick, bitches. So yeah, uh, this is a new anime from this season. Uh, kind of Weirdly, both a Dark Horse um, high expectation series, because a lot of people like us are fans of the manga, and depending on who you talk to, uh, one of the worst Edgelord series ever made. Yeah, that's a lot of what I saw just kind of circling around this. Um, a couple of people I follow on Twitter who talk about anime stuff, um, they were very much like, oh yeah, fuck this fucking thing, just trying to be all fucking berserk and shit. Which is a comparison I never thought to make. I can see it. I mean, yeah, in the kind of broadest, broadest aspects of it. Yeah. But but in terms of scale, think, character, yeah. personality, writing, art, everything. It's like the people who looked at Cabinary of the Iron Fortress and said, oh, this is Attack on Titan, you fucking hacks. Yeah, what's weirder to me is like these same people... Claiming Goblin Slayer is one of the worst Edgelord pieces of shit ever made. Also think uh, Devilman Crybaby is one of the greatest works of fiction of the last ten years. Fucking people. So I guess we should address the reason. So um, for those who don't know, uh, when the manga and the story of Goblin Slayer starts out... Uh, we're not following Goblin Slayer himself, and for those who know, we're just going to call him Goblin Slayer because all the characters in this are just referred to by their race, if it's known, and if it's not human, and their job title, basically. 
Yeah, our primary characters are Goblin Slayer, Priestess, Dwarf Shaman, Elf Archer, Lizard Folk Monk, Farm Girl, and Receptionist Girl. Yes, and a few others that pop up here and there regularly. Yeah. Um, we're introduced to this world with Priest Girl just getting her adventurer's tag uh, and joining up with an amateur party to go hunt some goblins. They're like, oh, goblins are small, weak, and dumb. We can handle them. Yeah, and uh, question. Um, so I'm going to be doing this a lot because I haven't seen the show yet because I'm bad at my job. But uh, so when she signs up, uh, do we get to see the like sign up form and does it look like a fifth edition character sheet? Um, no, I don't think we I'd have to go back and check. I don't think we see the form. Well, we shit. just see the. I do. We just see the talk. But it's for well, those who don't know what he's referencing. This is a D&D world. Like, yeah. not not just, like, metaphorically, like, almost literally, this is a D&D world. <laughs> no, actually, not, not even almost literally. Straight up literally. Yeah, in chapter 15 of the manga, um, this may or may not be spoilers. I don't think it is because it doesn't really spoil plot beats. But, yeah, d- during, a, during chapter 15 of the manga, when we are ending the first big arc and going into the next big arc, um... We get this kind of pullback thing of like, like you know, fucking at the beginning of time or whatever. The gods of chance made the world, and they made Goblin Slayer, who is and like they they made all the players and stuff, and every single one of them is controlled by these gods. Like they roll dice to determine their life. Goblin Slayer is the only NPC to ever go against the dice. He does not let the gods choose for him. He makes his own path, and that is the only remarkable thing about him. Yeah, well, that and the fact that... And so, yeah, uh, we see the minis. We see the game map with the fucking square grid. We see the dice. We see, in the first chapter, when she is signing up for the Adventuring Guild, she gets a 5th edition character sheet. Okay, I missed that part. Uh, maybe it it's, wasn't... In the, I'd have to check. I, I will look, I will look. The first but, fucking time uh, I saw that, the first... The first time I read this, I fucking did a double take, because I had just started getting like really hardcore into D&D. So I saw it, I was like, wait, no, that can't be right. Yeah. So, uh, as we were saying, the the priest and their young party go hunting for some goblins. Uh, they get butt-fucked. In some cases, literally. Unfortunately. <laughs> because, and this was the scene that many people say was the edgelord going too far moment. And I feel like they kind of missed the point of this scene by just saying, oh, this is Edgelord Darkness. It has no, it, it doesn't deserve to exist. Because the whole goal of this scene is to show you goblins suck. Yeah, like like everybody is, like the whole thing with goblins is, yeah, they're small. They're about as fucking smart and strong as a human child. And child, children are fucking retarded. And this is to show, no, they are fucking clever and wily. Yeah, they're clever, and wily. Dirt. Brutal and sadistic. <laughs> so, the party gets mostly wiped out. Uh, the priest tr- attempts to heal uh, the mage who was stabbed, but not infamously injured. Uh, Goblin Slayer shows up and saves her from a few other goblins and saves Priest Girl. But he... Uh, 
he he tells her he can't save the mage because the as a sign of how gross these things are, the blade was poisoned with their urine. Yep, their urine, their shit, and some poisonous herbs. So yeah, so classy, you know. <laughs> yeah, you real fucking just. <laughs> So, Goblin Slayer, after saving her, says, I'm going to go slay the goblins. What are you going to do? She says, you can just try to take her and leave. But if you're going to stay, then you should help. At which point, he tries to give her the 411 on how he han- ways he handles goblins strategically. And shows her how her party fucked up in like, the very basic amateur ways that most parties fuck up. Yeah, they ain't rolling perception checks. None of them have fucking torches or dark vision. Yeah. Just rookie shit. Uh, yeah, at which point, for in the, in the context of the first episode, Goblin Slayer, Slayer spends the next ten minutes just strategically killing a few dozen of these things. And the scene that also kind of portrays Goblin Slayer as something of a psychopath is that after he's killed all of the adult goblins, including a hobgoblin, which are like goblins, just much bigger... Um, he finds their nest, uh, clubs all of the, the infants to death with a literal club, and then lets light the place on fire. Which yep. the rest of the the crew, or, uh, priest is, female priest is kind of put off by this, but Goblin Slayer is like, these things don't deserve to exist. Yeah, if and I then show he them mercy, also, they'll just kill someone else. <laughs> yeah, and he also, like, very clearly, I don't know if, I don't know if it's, like, in the beginning or later, but he breaks down. It's like people who fucking let goblins go are idiots. That's in episode two where they do that. Okay. But yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. Like people who let goblins go are idiots. Like you fucking it's like, Oh yeah, I'm being merciful. Let this child go. Then it goes, joins another nest, gets stronger, gets smarter. Yeah. And the priest's first response is what, what if there are good goblins to which goblin slayer says, I've been doing this for a while and I've never met one. Yeah, it's like maybe there is one. Yeah, there might be a good goblin, but to me, the only good goblin is one that never crawls out of its hole. Yeah. So. It's so okay. So for reference for Dead Man, uh, the first three episodes of the anime because we've covered basically covered this up. It's it's pretty self-explanatory. Goblin Slayer, he slays goblins. He has a party that helps him, or who he helps. Yeah. That's basically the plot of most of the stories. And the first three episodes, and this is going to mean more to Dead Man since he's read the manga, they end right before they go into the ruins where the ogre is. Okay. Yeah. So the, by the end of episode three, we've met the rest of the party. They've started establishing their characters, and they've started getting into the... Okay, so my main reaction to those who say that Goblin Slayer is an Edgelord series... it. If the entire series felt like it agreed with Goblin Slayer on the way to do things and the way he handles things, that might be Edgelord. But the rest of the of the world and the characters in it spend the rest of their time taking the piss out of his actions and his decision-making. Yeah, Goblin Slayer is the weird one. Like, 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 that, like that beginning thing, it introduces us through the eyes of Priestess, who just went through that situation, and then Goblin Slayer shows up, so it's relatively straightforward with that. But then we get the rest of the party who are like actual adventurers. Yeah. Like the, so, of, so they have a ranking system and of the party, most of, 
all of them except Priestess are pretty close to the top of the ranking system for uh, for types of adventures. But all of them think, what is this weirdo? <laughs> yeah, like our main three are Platinum, Gold, and Silver. Yeah, and the entire party are Silver. Yeah, with the exception of Priestess, who Priestess. is Porcelain, and then I believe in the chapters recently, re- recently reached Obsidian. Yeah, actually, though, actually after the Ogre was when she became Obsidian. Oh, right, right, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, so Silver Adventurers are essentially the the highest tier you can get and still be out there considered an adventurer. Yeah, like, the implication is that if you're gold or above, you're usually more like civic management or, like, generals or stuff like that. Yeah, you are a hero. doing the partying thing if you're above silver rank. Yeah, and so Goblin Slayer, he wears a helmet that covers his face. All of his shit is dirty. He only hunts goblins. So every single person there who is the regular glory seeker, I'm going to get to gold and be the fucking greatest adventurer ever. I'm going to get my dick sucked by everybody. They're all like, what the fuck? He doesn't claim glory. He's not looking for, he doesn't fucking, he hides his face. All of his shit is dirty as hell. He only hunts the weakest fucking monsters. What is he? All of his shit is cheap. How is he ranked three out of ten? Yeah. (laughs) And they actually do a pretty good job of explaining it later, or at least the receptionist explains it to him. Because, like, the ranking system doesn't really matter to him. He just likes getting paid for killing goblins, even though as he says to Farm Girl in episode two, it would be better if there were no goblins. Yeah, actually, so I think be it's, it's not that he likes getting paid for getting up for killing goblins. It's that he kills goblins so he can so he can get money to get stuff to kill goblins. Yeah. Everything is everything is just a vehicle for goblin murder. Just he fucking he basically meets the he basically meets the super pope. Yeah, uh, what's the sword maiden? Yeah, the is sword maiden, who was a yeah. gold or platinum ranked adventurer who helped fucking save the world, fight out the demon lords or whatever. And Goblin Slayer's like, "Hey, what's up? You got goblins?" Yeah, and the pri- and the priestess in this party is from her church. She's like, "Shit, would you please, <laughs> would yeah. you please act like a person?" It's like, she is the closest thing to Jesus. Show some fucking respect. <laughs> and his and his rationale is just respect her won't kill the goblins quicker. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked mostly about the story, which you could I. So, so far, at least, um, if I had a choice, I would say read the manga, don't watch the anime, because the anime, it's fine, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, that was one of my worries kind of going into this, just, anime like this, like, it was anime like, like this anime, and then the One Punch Man anime. Yeah. Where you go and it's like... Yeah, this will probably be fine, but I have the manga. Yeah, but um, there are at least elements of uh, that I can get from the One Punch Man anime that I can't get from the manga. Or at least I appreciate that the anime exists because particularly uh, in both the dub and the sub, the voice for Saitama now gives me the voice I hear in my head when I read his text. Okay. Like, bugs. They suck. <laughs> And while all of the voice work, at least in the sub for Goblin Slayer, is fine, um, I don't know. There's something about the art style that's very 
standard. And like I, this, the, the art style and um, the the manga is not that unusual either. It's pretty standard stuff for the most part. But there's a couple of weird things that I kept noticing that seemed like this was made. This was not made with the same mindset as the mindset that made the manga. Like for some reason, there's a lot of emphasis on lips. Huh. Like, I mean, when you, th- so you, I mean, you obviously have, or reread the manga pretty regularly, so you know kind of how the way the, the manga artists in that draw faces, where it's like pretty standard anime shovel face with like eyes, mouth, nose, hair. Yep. Yeah, well, they do that with the, the anime, but they like, for, particularly for the females, they emphasize the like thick lips on them, like on Elf and on Priestess. And it's, like, weirdly distracting. I don't know why it's distracting. Maybe it's just because it feels like a superfluous feature when the men don't have them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the only two characters I can think of that would potentially that could, that, like, that would potentially not be distracting for would be the Sword Maiden and the Sorceress. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we, we that first scene where the Sorceress was explaining to the priestess whether or not she should stay with Goblin Slayer, that scene... I knew that scene was going to be awkward because any inf- interactions with the with the witch with the sorceress are going to be awkward, but it was kind of more awkward than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how so? Because, well, I mean, you know the way that in uh, the manga, the way she delivers lines has deliberate pauses built into the text. Uh, yes. I was, I was going to do an impression of it, and then I immediately went to Shatner. Yeah. So now and, I can't not hear her voice as Shatner. And that's not far off. Just sort of imagine if Shatner was, like, high on helium. <laughs> because it's a really high-pitched voice delivering this line. And there's like five minutes of that in her conversation with the priest, just so it was a little like, uh... <laughs> man. Now, just all I'm thinking now is just come. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the animation, um, it's fine. Also, so the fight scenes are pretty good. Uh, I am okay. I will commend them. That uh, the explicit rape scenes uh, from the first episode, the ones that everyone was freaking out about, they actually are less explicit than I was honestly expecting, having read the manga. They show everything, but they frame it tastefully enough that they don't make it super explicitly exploitative. Okay. So that's a a uh, stand, a aspect of the uh, creation process that I kind of appreciate. Um Okay, the big thing that's going to bother you, Goblin Slayer is mostly CG. Fucking, why? Why? I think they thought that because he has no facial features and just constantly walks around in cheap-looking metal armor that they could get away with it. Eat my hemorrhoided ass, you fucking cunts. And I don't know why, because this is a good animation studio. This is the studio that made Steins Gate and ReZero. Yeah, I was going to say this fucking White Fox. Uh, but I also feel like uh, we should mention uh, the director. 
Uh, so yeah, so the series is directed by uh, Takaharu Ozaki, who did a uh, Girl's Last Tour and Persona Five: The Animation, The Daybreakers. So, not really a champion of the industry, really. No, no, not really. He's also an assistant. He was also an assistant director on Terraformars. Okay, say what you will about Terraformers, that at least has a much more distinctive art sense than this does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. They they have a look. It's a stupid look, but it's a look. Yeah, I remember when I, oh. I remember when I first fucking talked about Terraformers, just thinking back in that first episode, it still looks like a fucking abridged series of itself. <laughs> uh Anyway. Oh, this is funny to me, Dead Man. Um, so White Fox uh, was it was a spun off from OLM Incorporated, also known as Oriental Light and Magic, the studio that created Berserk and Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a resume. <laughs> oh God. You would not think. You would not think that <laughs> that those two things were made by the same fucking company. And to be fair, when I say Berserk, I mean the original '90s series, not the uh, CG recent one. Yeah, the yeah the, the uh, OG Berserk anime. Yeah, the one that ended at the end of the Golden Egg arc, which, you know, one of the worst uh, blue ball endings ever. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, the story's getting started in series finale. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I mean, if you, I think if the action scenes, there haven't been enough of the, so one of the big action scenes is coming up. I think it's either in this episode, next episode or the one after with the fight with the orc. Or not orc ogre, yeah, and that's kind of one of the big highlights of the early series in terms of combat, in terms of like not just one off slaying useless goblins. Yeah, there's like so, there's like real thought put into that. Yeah, like there's planning, there's stakes, there's risks taken, and strategies played out. Lots of uh, control of like the space that they're fighting in, that kind of thing. So I will probably watch at least until that point to see how they handle that fight if they screw that up i might actually just stick to the manga because while this is fine for something i care a lot about i kind of want more than just fine yeah it's always the thing like <laughs> like it was a it was a similar kind of thing for me with like my hero academia like when that like when the, okay. like when the anime adaptation of that of that series came out everyone loved it and i was on the more positive side, but a bit lukewarm on it. Yeah, I think I'm. I might be a little bit higher on it than you, but I'm kind of on the same in the same boat. And yeah, like it, it's a similar kind of thing with uh, One Piece, where like I'll watch certain scenes that I want to see moving, but but it's ultimately not how I want to experience that sh that series. Like if I actually. Actually, just recently, I um, I watched the uh, anime part where it was uh, where it was uh, All Might 
fucking like kneeling like kneeling in front of a Deku's mom saying that hey he's gonna be the next me and I want to get him there. Yeah, one of the be- most emotional gripping moments in the series. <laughs> yeah, in the manga, it 100% is. In the show, it didn't have even half the weight that it carried in the manga for me. Yeah. I mean, there are some anime adaptations that do su- exceed the manga, the manga's limitations or the manga's quirks. I mean, I don't really... It, have you had any problems, really, with the Goblin Slayer manga? I haven't, really. Nah. It's been rock solid from beginning to now. Yeah. If I had more money, I would go back to buying the volumes to collect, but I haven't done that in a while, just because it's easier to save money and just read it. But I have, like, the first... I think I collected chapters up through the end of the fight with the Goblin Lord. Yeah. Which was an awesome fight. So. Yeah, so good. And kind of, and kind of the point where everybody in fucking the guild is like, "Oh, this is why he's silver." Okay. Yeah. And also that that funny moment at the, after the fight where Priestess asked him to take his helmet off, so everyone and, and drunken elf is like, "Holy shit, he's hot!" That's <laughs> like, look, he's got a fucking face. And the, and the spearman is like, "Let I know that fucker. Where do I know him from?" Shit. Yeah, and the only one who's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess he is hot is the farm girl who knows what he looks like. Yeah. <laughs> they... <laughs> and all, I bet in her head she was like, wait, do they just not know what he looks like? And he's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah her, whole thing, her whole thing is like, wait, why is this a big deal? Oh, they don't know what he looks like. That's weird. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, uh... Goblin Slayer, the anime, is fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if Dead Man doesn't... I might write it up just as a final purge of my thoughts on it, but if Dead Man doesn't want to, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, I was going to wait for like a midpoint to kind of like get a more... Okay. Yeah, so probably five... So actually, right after the fight with the ogre might be a good point, because that'll be like five or six episodes in. Yeah, probably Maybe around there. 12. Okay. So, moving on to something that is deep nerd, as I described to Deadman in my written review of the first episode, is deep nerd cut aimed exactly at fucking me. Yeah. S-S-S-S Gridman. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a deep cut. Yeah. And and I'm going to say, for those who don't know, and by which I mean just about everybody, because I've had to explain this to just about everyone... Uh, this is the anniversary, this is a anniversary celebration of the 25th anniversary of a obscure tokusatsu series from the creator of Ultraman called Gridman. Uh, it was made in 1993 and it aired, and a Americanized version of it, kind of like Power Rangers, aired in the States between 94 and 95 called Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, all with S's. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's to, a to name. quote my review. To quote my review, no, that is not misspelled. The show was just that nineties. Yeah, it's them the big and bad Beetleborgs. Yeah, and in case you thought that this was like American bastardization of the series, no, the uh, creators of the original series were heavily involved in the English localization process with the American distributor. 
So this whole thing, the whole thing had the blessing of the original creators. And for those who don't know, the plot of this thing is tech-savvy kids made a computer program superhero. An interdimensional police officer merges with it uh, and then makes a contract with one of the kids to become Gridman and to fight cyber programs that become monsters. Naturally. Uh, in the Japanese, the, the, the villain is called um, Kilo uh, um, Khan Digifer, which is an annoyingly weird name to say. In the Americanized version, it's called he's called Kilo Khan, which, while not quite as uh, accurate, at least is easier to say. And I'm willing to forgive it, considering... Do you know who voiced Kilo Khan in the American dub, Dead Man? I do not. Tim Curry. Bitch. What? That is so good. <laughs> Man, remember when fucking... Remember when... Remember, like, remember Tim Curry? Motherfucker. Yeah. I miss Tim Curry. No! No! Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, man. The diamonds are here! Waha! The lost city of Zinj. Would you stop that? No. Have you watched Clue? Uh, of course I have. The fuck you asking me, dude? Love- <laughs> okay, so in terms of the anime itself, uh, this this series does seem to operate on the idea that Gridman was a thing before in this world, and it's just been a while. Because, as I also said in my review, uh, Gridman as a series operates on a lot of uh, sci-fi cliches, sci-fi anime cliches, like the main character has amnesia, uh, the first person he befriends in the series that we see, her mom owns a junk shop which has the only computer in town which can contact Gridman. Uh, he's told that he remembers that somewhat people remember him being friends with this other guy in his class who happens to be obsessed with superheroes. So, you know, the usual trifecta of nerds to film, to create a superhero party around naturally um there's a what's that what's the uh there's a goemon looking guy who just wanders around with three swords behind him <laughs> who, <laughs> who is apparently friends with Gridman and can become a sword that Gridman uses yeah I I want to watch this. (laughs) And uh, the villain is the eccentric weirdo who hates people. And whenever she's not at school acting like cool quirky is at home being basically a murderous sociopath who talks to her computer about what she wants to do to her fellow students and teachers. Yeah, okay. And then she carves... Credit to the level of commitment instead of, okay, so in the original series, the uh, the guy who creates the monsters for the villain uh, draws them and, like, scans them in through a 90s scanner to yeah. and sends them through the internet. This girl carves them out of wood. Takes dedication, I guess. <laughs> yeah, particularly considering the designs. Like, in, C- in episode two, she... 
drew this like um, bipedal lizard thing with uh, with like a cyber visor, but with googly eyes going off in the wrong directions, and like every every piece of it is mirrored so that it can reflect lasers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking at uh, some of these designs, and like so she whittles these. Yeah. Damn, does she have an Etsy? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> if not, she should have one. <laughs> Make a fucking mint off these things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, then she's so she's. Uh, I think that's the girl's name. Akane, I think, is the villainous character who. Uh, her reaction to her teacher bumping into her and not saying, I'm sorry, is, I'm going to stab you. Naturally. Yeah, so she goes furthering the Furthering mom. my theory that all Japanese school children are fucking sociopaths. Yeah. Well, I mean, she cheers when... Uh, okay, so a weird element of the original series that this brings back and becomes even more complicated is that... So after... So when... So in... I haven't seen the the subversion Gridman, but in the in the American version they fight inside computers. I'm a computer. So like any damage that takes place in the fight it, it, to the cityscape is meant to simulate problems in like simulated circuitry or like cyberspace. Yeah. That uh, once it, the fight's done, Gridman can use his powers to fix. Yeah, it's like it is people who do not understand information infrastructure trying to rep, trying to visualize the destruction of information infrastructure. Yes. But in this series, he's trying to all break the down fighting, the firewall as he stomps on a building. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there was an episode where uh, they use monsters to uh, break down um, satellite security, which, which cut off one half of the planet from the other. <laughs> what? I would have to. This is a. If there was ever a series I wanted to do an X and Y with you with, that this would be it. But I would have to show. You'd have to watch an episode to figure that out for yourself if you think it's bad enough to be worth it, or at least goofy enough to be worth it. I'll I'll, I'll try to find out. Yeah, but um, the, the so the difference in this series is that the fighting takes place in real life, and these cyber monsters are apparently like circuitry constructs. Because at the end of the first episode, when Ultraman, when Gridman decapitates the monster, you see like loose wires and gears turning as the thing disintegrates and blows up. So it's kind of like if Green Lantern operated with circuitry, I guess. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah, and why? And this is the emotional stakes thing. While apparently Gridman can still fix um, cities after they're destroyed, uh, he can't bring people back who are dead. That's understandable. So the end result is the only way that they could, the world can function with people just disappearing after they fix things is that as a side effect of him fixing the town, memories of people about people who died get altered so that they think they never existed or that they died much sooner. Oh, that's fucked. Yeah. Oh, God. So, and aside from the main party of heroes and the uh, villain, no one else knows that. Because, like, so the entire volleyball team, or at least the captain and several members of the 
main character's high school die in the first episode, get blown up in a fireball. And But then in the second episode, they go around talking to people to find out what happened to them, and they think they're being dicks, bringing up their dead daughters who have been dead for over a decade. <sighs> yeah, that's rough. Yeah. I mean, it works for emotional stakes and why you can kind of have the, oh, he can fix everything, but it still can't fix everything thing. I mean, you, let me phrase that. You can fix the destruction, but you can't fix everything from the fights. So you can't just assume, well, we'll fix everything afterwards. I feel like... I feel like by them bringing things into the real world, they just made up their own problem. Yeah. And I'm hoping that there's a reason for that, uh, that they do it in the real world, that they don't just do it in cyberspace like they did in the original series. It could just be that from... Okay, so I forgot to mention, this is from Studio Trigger. (laughs) It could be that the directors of Trigger looked at how ridiculous the concept for the cyberspace fighting was and were like, nah, we gotta top that. Yes, yeah, let's top that. We'll fucking do it with... We'll do it with fucking robots and gaslighting. And I will say, to, to Trigger's credit, uh, so far at least, uh, they haven't brought in any of their laughably ludicrous plot machinations, maybe as a response to people being kind of upset with them for stupidity like Darling and the Franks. <laughs> yeah. Kind of glad I fell off that show now. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. But... Uh, they do bring their direction because, and so this is the other thing. Then this is part of the reason I thought you might not want to do an X and Y for the original Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. Um, the original series was kind of an experiment with using a lot of slow motion photography for combat, and while that can look interesting on screen, the end result of having two people fighting in slow motion for like five or ten minutes could mean that the fighting ends up looking a little boring. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so Trigger mostly did away with that. They do the things that are much bigger, move slower thing, but they kept the the, the crazy wrestling. They do the uh, the Gurren Lagann poses when uh, the guy turns into a sword for Gridman to use. Naturally. Uh, they use a lot of really effective camera angles from like a... a, a uh, civilians perspective watching the fight and a lot of clever moving around and using of the space so the action scenes are one of the big pluses for this and while they do have a lot of cg this time i kind of can't fault them for it because these designs are so weird and since they kind of move like robots anyway it's more forgivable that they look weird and off-putting as they move Plus, they also have some great sound design, like uh, the monster in the second episode. It kind of sounds like they... So you watched uh, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, right? I think so. The, the, the thing that's just a giant turd, basically, that shoots lasers? Right, yeah, that. 
Yeah, it kind of sounds like that monster if it was run through like a Casio keyboard. Well, righty. <laughs> so yeah, um, as as opposed to Goblin Slayer, which I had high expectations and was just, was just fine, so I was kind of let down. This I was just curious and am impressed enough to keep watching. Yeah, I also this this is something I feel like deserves mentioning. Uh, so okay. the director of this series, Akira Amamiya, he was also the director of Inferno Cop, Ninja Slayer from Animation, and the co-director of Uchu Patrol Luluko. Right, I forgot about that. I should have, I, when I, I saw that earlier, it's like, oh, I should have mentioned a dead man. This is directed from the guy that did Ninja Slayer from Animation. <laughs> to give you a sense of how absurd this thing is. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and I will say, I think the one reason I remember this series at all is because the design for Gridman itself is pretty cool. Yeah, just from initial like screenshot looks of it, it looks it looks pretty dope. Yeah, it looked a lot cooler and it looks better in live action, but it's still a really great design. So I'm I'm looking forward to more of this, and since there's only twelve episodes, it'll be nice and quick, and I can enjoy it and be done with it. Alrighty then. Okay, moving on. Let's see. Oh, yes. Another thing that I only care about because it's related to something else we watched that we really loved. So, if there's a studio we should watch, Deadman. It's Studio Voln. Okay. Because Karakuri Circus is another retro 90s shonen series uh, animated and directed by the people who made Ushio and Tora. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the actual, and, remember, and the manga is from the, the manga is made by the guy who did Ushio and Tora. Okay, I didn't remember that part. I just remembered it being the same studio that animated it. Yeah, Kazuhiro uh, Fujita. Yeah. So, this thing is fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, okay, I mean, you and I have been doing this long enough that we kind of got used to the tropes of Shonen. Yeah. At least, like, while we're doing Shonen. These Shonen series keep throwing me because they operate with a different mindset than the ones we're used to. Whereas the ones we're mostly used to are, like, I want to be the very best, like, no one ever was. And it's just, like, a constant struggle to get there. Yeah. Uh, both this and Ushio and Tor are, like, fuck your shit. <laughs> yeah, they're, they still have some of the tropes, but they're from a time when a lot of the more popular shonen tropes hadn't really come about yet yeah so as in this so after uh so before the opening credit sequence um the main character who is an 11 year old boy uh shows up is that we see him at a circus and then the circus just starts killing everyone naturally then we cut through the opening sequence and we see the kid running around with a giant briefcase until he runs into one of those bear mascots for a circus offering like balloons and flyers for the circus. Uh, he asks the guy for help. Uh, the bear, the guy in the bear suit starts choking and starts begging the kid to laugh because the guy has a disease where if people don't laugh because of stuff he does, then he has seizures. 
Oh, well. Uh, and the kid does manage to laugh a little bit, but then the guy in the bear suit has to save him after three very human-looking puppets show up and kidnap the kid. Naturally. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of those rare occasions where a super well-trained martial artist is fucking useless because he punches, kicks, elbows these things, and they just contort themselves in weird fucking ways to throw him across the street. <laughs> Okay. So, and yeah, the reason this is called Car Curry Circus is that the main, the main combative force that things that people use in this to fight each other are giant puppets, including the main character who, while he can't control a puppet himself, his grandfather told him, "If your parents die before you come of age, look for this woman named Shirogane, and she will protect you." And give her if you give her this. So he does. So he carries around this giant suitcase, which has a puppet made by his grandfather called Arlequin, to defend him. And Arlequin is fucking cool. <laughs> Let me see if I can find. Uh, I'm looking a it picture. up. Yeah. You can talk about it. I'll find it. Yeah. So before they get to Shiragani, though, uh, some shit. Go- so apparently, the main character had encountered these puppets before, in that. His father had died in a car crash caused by a weird puppet-looking thing getting caught up in the tires on the highway and causing it to crash. So these animated puppets operating under people's orders just throw themselves under vehicles to cause them to crash to to have plausible deniability for accidents. And they take this to ludicrous extremes in the first episode, since right before the final fight of the first episode, they derail a train. Yeah, and looking at it now, yeah, Harlequin's pretty glam metal. <laughs> this whole design, everything in this is. We've already seen three combat puppets, which what Harlequin's one of those, and all these things are like seven or eight feet tall, weirdly designed, uh, based on like French and Italian circus type stuff. Uh, they move in weird ways, like the first. Other puppet Arlequin fights has like six legs, moves like a crab, and hits with a giant club. (laughs) Ow. Sorry. Yeah. And the other weird thing about this series, aside from that element, is that unlike with uh, more modern shonen series where they sort of build from the characters and the plot sort of comes about as a result of what the characters are doing... Uh, this jumps straight into plot shit where, oh, this kid is the uh, heir to a famous uh, computer industry head's fortune, uh, but he's the son of a, from a mistress, so people there are people who either want him dead or want him under their control for the inheritance. Yeah. So there are parties of puppet masters trying to kidnap the kid, and there are parties of puppet masters trying to k- kill the kid. And at the end of the second episode, one of the puppeteers who fought Arlo Cannon lost comes to see Shirogane, the puppeteer, and the main, the other, the martial artist who's sticking around to protect the little kid, Narumi, uh, and says, "Hey, I just wanted to kill the kid. They wanted to kidnap him. They're, but is that better? Like, no, I'm just telling you, I'm not with them." <laughs> And he's a slimy mother look fucker because he's like super thin with a long nose and greased back Yakuza hair. But he's like, hey, 
I don't get paid if I don't kill the kid. So until you help me, until I help you free them from the kidnappers, I can't kill the kid. So I'm going to help you first. Wow. <laughs> Man, I... Yeah, I got to watch this. Yeah, you really do. Also, and like I, I just I just learned this. So apparently, uh, Vuln is an acronym, okay, which stands for Visiting Old, Learn New. Oh, cool! That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, and it was founded by an ex Madhouse director. Cool. And one of the only other things they did of note was a uh, was a film, it was an anime film of a novel called "I Want to Eat Your Pancreas." Right, yeah, the the uh, romantic drama called I Want to Eat Your Pancreas that's supposed to be moving and sweet and heartwarming. Yeah. Just don't want to eat your pancreas. Now you're that romantic. So yeah, this one was a really pleasant surprise for me. And I think you would like it too. I know it's for me at least it's on Prime Video. Hopefully you can find a way to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I I have my methods. Yeah, but I, I, I want to, this is one of those things that I want more people to watch because it's so fucking weird and awesome. Oh, and also, sign of uh, how well the character dynamics work, they do, pardon me, um, tropes from Shonen that I'm familiar with, where like um, the, hot sur- the hot puppeteer is uh, naked in the shower helping the little kid get clean when the grown man walks in thinking he's supposed to help the kid. And they uh, they do the awkward moment, but uh, when the puppeteer walks back, it's like, oh, I, I don't fucking care. I mean, it's like, I mean, I guess if I found you attractive, I would care, but I, people see me naked all the time in the circus. It's not that big a deal. See, I'm watching this. Yeah, you should. Yeah, fuck. Uh, the show with Tor was so fucking good. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm just pissed that the Blu-ray for it is tied up by fucking Sentai Filmworks, which means it's not going to be as good. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so that's all the new stuff I have. Now, a couple other manga-related things. Let's get the stupid thing out of the way first. Galiseum. The fuck? Is that like a portmanteau of Coliseum and Gollum? I don't know. Let me just read the description for you. A mysterious substance incorporated in bracelets makes men more powerful than ever. Bullets, sharp weapons, and other missiles do not kill them. From there, a sort of fist world war is set in place for the new human race to dominate the world. In the middle of this hunting area, a woman, Sasha Gudarenko, Nicknamed the White Witch, imposes her style through jujitsu techniques taught to her by the mythical wizard Rasputin. Yeah, you can move on. <laughs> yeah. So this is a parody wrestling superhero series where the main villain is Vladimir Putin. Yeah, you can move on. <laughs> I think we've talked about just it before, too. Yeah, just thought I'd mention it. Uh, let's see. Um, okay. Have I talked about uh, Isekai Motenashi Gohan? I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, I'll just... In case I did, I'll jog your memory. So this is a, this is an Isekai series 
but it's an isekai series where the isekai uh, hero in the series is not the main character. The main character is her sister, who got dragged there with her when their entire house got teleported into another world. So while the sister is out doing, like, heroic things, the main character is stuck at home, like, making lunches and showing this myster- the fantasy world about Western cooking. Uh, also, the rest of it is mainly about taking the piss out of the isekai hero in this series because she's a greedy, gluttonous uh, crybaby. <laughs> so she's Darkwing Duck? Kind of. <laughs> like, like... She gets bored during her studies one day and wants some food, and she reads somewhere about a mountain god that will make miracles of plants happen. So she climbs up. She climbs up the mountain, begs the uh, mountain god to create foods that do not exist on this plane of existence because they're from her world. And in doing so, the mountain god exhausted his power and was left a small piglet. At which point, uh, everyone in the kingdom was like, "Oh." Fuck. Oh, you bitch. You fucking killed her. You made her god a pig. Yeah. Well, I mean, the god was already a pig. It would just became a much smaller, much more powerless pig as a result of her actions. You so made her god a pork to... cutlet. Yeah. At which point, the vegetables that the sister, that the isekai prince, uh, character asked for had to be cooked by the sister as an offering so that the main, that the god could get its powers back. So it's both a cooking series and a isekai adjacent series, since the isekai elements are mostly just for character development. There's plot, but not much of it. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's kind of like heartwarming and charming. And I kind of feel bad for the main character because uh, she now has, for those who know anything about the fairy world, um... Fairy Queen Titania just keeps wandering into her house. <laughs> just like to hang out or for stuff? To, to hang out and for food. <laughs> uh, man, I fucking love Off-Center Isekai. Yeah, me too. This one's charming and pretty simple for such a weird premise. I really like all the characters. It's really just... Kind of fluffy and fun. Well, alrighty then. So, yeah. So on the opposite end of uh, fluffy and fun, uh, let's go to a 90s uh, Ghost Whisperer-esque series called Daydream Ghost Talkers. Okay, so you remember a couple months ago I talked about a series called uh, Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service? Let's say yes. My main point is that it's a it's series with um, main characters who can interact with spirits in some specific way, and then they serve a government function because of it. In this case, uh, the main character, what is her name? Uh, Psyche Kurosaki, I think is how she says it. Um, she can see ghosts and communicate, ghosts can communicate with the real world through her. And because of that, and the fact that her father is the prime minister, she's often asked to work for a section of the of the public security bureau, basically to handle questions about hauntings. 
okay, I... So I started looking it up, and I... You found some details that need to be explained? Um... So, is she a dominatrix? That's her day job, yes. Okay, so this is the right series. Yep. This looks bad. It's not terrible. It's okay. Just the fact that... So the thing, the thing that the thing that I was like, yeah, this looks bad, is because uh, in describing this, in describing the main character, the person who wrote this felt the ne- felt that this one detail was important enough to be mentioned. She don't got pubes. Yeah, that's an uh, that's there's a joke about that in the first story. It's probably the most awkward joke in the whole series. And there's some other awkward humor that I don't know how to feel about. Like, the main character has a stalker who she hates, but at the same time, he seems to be the kind of stalker who's like, who's like deluded himself into thinking, I'm an important part of her life that I need, that needs help. So he uses his stalking abilities to help her with her cases. Ugh. (laughs) And then she has. Uh, so this is, um, okay, so this is going to be the defining factor as to whether you not you enjoy this or not. Oh, motherfucker. Um, the fucking, the, the English voice actor of the main character is also a, is also an English voice actor for Boogie Pop Phantom. We can never escape. I didn't know there wasn't. I, <laughs> hey, that series is coming back next year, dead man. <laughs> I'm going to stab someone. I didn't know there was an anime. I was just reading the manga. Yeah, yeah, there's an anime. And Sam Regal's in it. Who? Uh, he was Donatello in the 2003 TV series, in the 2003 TMNT series. He voices Phoenix Wright. He is also um, the voice of Mephisto in Blue Exorcist. And he is on Critical Role. Okay, so pretty good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the defining factor as to whether or not you'll like this is whether or not um, uh, humorous jokes about sexuality at the expense of both the main character and the people around her are to your liking. Okay. Because there's these elements where the main character is apparently very good at being a dominatrix, but... She's often put. Uh, she's apparently often put off by the things that uh, her paying clients want her to do as part of that. Nothing like overtly, not like nothing. Like she's not supposed to have sex with them, but like a lot of you know other weird kinky shit. Yeah, like candle wax at the asshole. Yeah, riding crop to your nutsack, just putting out a fucking cigarette up your nose. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh. And she apparently this okay. This is the one element that really weirded me out. Um, she has like rope bindings around her that are apparently like a symbiotic, sentient, demonic thread. That if anything overtly malicious attempts to hurt her, it kills and eats. And. Um. 
That's a thing. Like, that's weird. That uh, that element's the weirdest part for me, and I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, and it was weird the first time we see Thread engulf a, ki- a guy, pull him into mush, and eat him. I mean, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, I'm curious whether or not... Because there's apparently several volumes of this. I only read the first one, which has two stories. I will say this, because of the long form version of the storytelling they go with in this, there's much more character development than you would get out of your typical anthology series of this type. Yeah. And the, the the two main characters we follow are, like I said, Psyche, who is the ghost talker who doesn't necessarily like her job, but she does it to pay the bills and her government office liaison who is a skilled fighter, but terrified of ghosts. Naturally. So, and those two serve basically as, fun- as not functions, uh, vehicles for exploring ghost-related stories and other types of storytelling. And most of the time, this, I mean, the stories, I will admit, go in directions I, I'm not expecting, and they do get a little bit more brutal. And then there's the weird goofy moments. Like they have an MST3K moment where someone tries to kill someone with a forklift. I have a face of dull surprise. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this. Okay. I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world, but I mean, but particularly after talking about, um, (laughs) Both Karakuri Circus and uh, Gridman, this felt like kind of a letdown. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it for me. All right, then. I really only have one thing. (laughs) So, recently a video game came out. And there's a website I go to very regularly that I've talked about many times on here. And they have done a bit more coverage of that game than they have for a few other games that have come out recently. And since that game is based off of an anime and manga, I thought, hey, I might as well go back and check out the anime because it's probably going to be easier to find than the, than the check out the manga because it's probably going to be easier to find than the anime for me. Okay. And that was Fist of the North Star. Ah, uh, yes. So did you watch the TV series or like the movie? I'm, I misspoke when I was talking about it. I, I read the manga. Oh, okay. Yeah, that I am. I mentioned this to you. I mentioned this to you before we started recording today, but like I haven't felt a strong urge to watch any real anime lately. And that's mainly just because I've been reading manga. Yeah. And as far as I understand it, the new Fist of the North Star anime that's out right now is like a spinoff, I think. So it's not about the main series. Yeah. And Fist of the North Star is such a weirdly 80s thing. I'm never sure how to feel about it. It's not like JoJo, where JoJo is so uniquely bizarre that you kind of just have to see it to believe it. Most of most of what Fist of the North Star does, I kind of get. It's just maybe not necessarily my thing. I think Fist of the North Star is quite bad. Okay. I don't, like, hate it, but... Reading it, 
I can understand why it. I can understand. I can understand to an extent why the anime is popular and like known as much as it is. Because this feels very much like a first. This feels for a lot of people. I feel like I feel like this series was for a number of people their first anime. Because reading it, that's what it feels like. It introduces you to. Yeah, I will say it's very basic. Yeah, it introduces you to a lot of the ideas that are better played out in other anime stuff. Uh, character motivations, story arcs, uh, just the, the fight fight stuff, More all that insane characters. shit. <laughs> yeah, all that shit. And it all does it in such a truncated and simple way. Yes. That I kind of can't really enjoy it. Yeah, and this is... I think for a lot of people... Okay, so I will say the action stuff, I can watch it for a little bit for how ridiculous it is and how weird 80s anime it is. But DBZ has the same problem. There's only so long I can watch one invincible guy punch people until they explode. Which is most of Kenshiro's fights. Yeah, and Kenshiro himself is kind of the problem for a me. Block of, a block of wood. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a block of immortal wood with a self-righteous streak. Yes. Yeah, so I guess for the uninitiated. Yeah, well, to be fair, that's probably a lot of people because this is kind of more of an old Taku thing to quote Ben at the Sage. Yeah. Fist of the North Star is a series from back in the, like, early days. And from the early days. And it is about Kenshiro. It is, it is a post-apocalypse, like a fucking nukes about. Nukes went off, and society collapsed. And so now Japan, or wherever they are, is essentially Mad Max. Yeah. And, like, not, not like, just... Not just like kind of like Mad Max, like the directors and the writers specifically said, oh, I was inspired by the Road Warrior. Yeah, and that shows in literally everything. Yeah, the design, the villains, the sensibility for the characters, all very Mad Max. Yeah, and so we are following Kenshiro, who is the inheritor of a martial arts style that focuses on pressure points and assassination. Yeah. He is able to punch well, people in such a way that their body explodes. And by such a way, we mean just about every way he punches. Yeah. he yeah. Apparently, the human body has infinity pressure points, or seven, depending on what chapter you're in. And, and so, and so, like, if you, and so hitting them just right uh, makes the body, like, tear itself apart either like through actual exploding or just literally they just split in half like, like there are multiple scenes in there of Kenshiro like kicking somebody and it's like it's like oh what is that all you got and then you just watch their head just like just like the skull inside break apart and I gotta say as as for the manga of it those fight scenes are bad 
Yeah, I mean, my only... Ex- I watched someone talk about the first chapter of the manga, but most of my exposure to the uh, animate to the series is based on the anime, and even that's not great. Yeah, for like, one thing, uh, it was made in the mid '80s. I think yeah. the the animation, and while parts of it do hold up okay, for one thing, there's no good uh, original tape of the series, so the animation quality varies wildly, even on professional releases. Yeah, and then in, in the manga, there is no real sense of choreography or framing for the fights. It's a lot of just, all right, so yeah, we have this guy standing here. Kenshiro punches this way. Then there's an explosion. Yeah. Or it is a, or it is just a fucking full page spread of Kenshiro going, and then the guy going, Arr! yeah. And watching that happen in animation is cool. I can imagine it. I mean, but, it, but that also gets boring even in animation after a while. I can imagine it would just be instantly fucking boring in the manga. Oh, yeah, because the art isn't great either. Like, it has a... It does have a unique sense of... It does have a unique look to it. it to me, it doesn't look like... like I, I can look at any character from Fist of the North Star and almost instantly know they're from Fist of the North Star. But... That's more a statement on design than actual quality of art. Because the art itself looks... Kind of generic, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, the design, the Road Warrior-esque design sensibilities give it a sense of style. But other than that, there's not much distinctive about Fist of the North Star. Except for its fight scenes. And if there's no good... Like, people think, oh, I just have to draw a panel for a fight scene in the manga. That's much easier. No, you still have to, like draw panels that sort of like simulate the action in a way that it will mean something to people. Sequential art. It's a thing that's important. And in the case of what you're describing, it sounds like they just, they show how it starts and how it ends, but nothing in the middle. Like none of the like intricacies of how it's done. No, no, they do show in the middle. It's all just bad. Yeah, well, okay. So in that, in like, that like, case, like, like, well. like, so with, with the with the world being a just fucking wasteland, there is yeah, no uh, sense of orientation within the actual fight itself. Okay, so like poor use of like internal space. Yeah, because because a lot of it is just is just guys standing against white backgrounds with a horizon line in the distance, and then the, and then the, and then the punch happens. Even in buildings, is kind of how it goes because the buildings are all just decrepit stone with no distinguishing marks on them, so you can't really do anything with that. And yeah. even when we get into like more unique locations, it's not until the fight ends that we get any sense of where the characters are standing. Yeah, like in the fight with Shin, the main, right, yeah. yeah, the main guy who I who I think gave the, the guy, who, the guy who, yeah, the injuries on his chest that form the the North Star, the the constellation that has the North Star in it. Yeah, that's distinctive design element. Yeah, that was caused by Shin as like a compromise because Shin's whole thing, and this is another storytelling problem for like basics dramatic storytelling. <laughs> Shin just wanted Kinshiro's woman, so they fought to the death, and. The injuries uh, Shin gave Kinshiro were a 
concession to the woman he was taking from him. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, he was like, he was like there and like, I'm gonna kill him unless you fucking love me. And then she's like, all right, fine, I love you, please don't kill him. And then he was like, yes, this is good. I have actually won. And so then he just, so then he just fucking just poked the Big Dipper into his chest. Yeah. And so. And it's, yeah, like, when we get into the big fight with him, it is just either a black or white background, depending on how threatening or awesome they want it to be. Then Kenshiro goes, wa-ta-ta, and then Shin flies into a pillar. And then it's like, oh, okay, we're still on his fucking platform that is overlooking Cross City or whatever. And they keep introducing these fucking villains. These people who have, these people who supposedly have these long-standing connections to Kenshiro and have, like, either horribly done him wrong or have made such an impact well, on like the his, world. His, his two brothers... Yeah, his fucking brothers. Fuck Shin. Shin, like, I not knowing anything about Fist of the North Star, and given that the like fan community out there that are keeping track of information for Fist of the North Star seem to not give a fuck. I had no idea what Shin's purpose in the story was. And so the impression I I mean, from what I understand, aside from the fact that she uh Kinshiro comes back to fight him later. Shin has no basis in the story except as, like, a starting point. None of the villains do. But again, I'm just going based on what I know. So I yeah, could... Yeah, I mean, yeah, but what, yeah, what I assumed, because, again, I saw the fucking... I saw a demo for that Fist of the, the new Fist of the North Star game from the Yakuza people. And the demo, the big end... You are already drunk. Yeah, the big end thing was, like, Kenshiro walks in to go fight Shin. And seeing his design, I assumed he was the big bad of the series. I assumed that yeah. the, I assumed that the whole like point of the series was Kenshiro. I'm gonna go kill Shin to get my fucking lady back, and then every every arc is a new obstacle to getting to Shin. Yeah. Okay. So I will say this: from what I understand, from what people have told me about the story, and most of this I'm pulling from Ben at the Sage's episode on the series, an overarching theme for the series as a whole is the idea that Kenshiro wants the love of his life back. But in the grand scheme of things, Kenshiro has more important things he should be doing than worrying about that is the argument that the story is making. I think that's kind of nebulous and boring storytelling, generally speaking. That's also not the story. That's the first arc. Okay, then I have no idea. Yeah, because because the the first arc, ba- the first like big chunk of it, like I think Shin is introduced in chapter twenty three and killed in chapter twenty eight. And I have no idea what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, like 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 Ken, like we 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 eat Kenshiro, and he is a big stoic murder badass with a heart of gold. Yeah. And so he's going around doing whatever, saves a fucking kid from getting sold or getting like taken by slavers, uh, meets another kid who is the worst person just ever with zero consistency of logic about him. Like, I think I know who you're talking about. Redhead kid. Uh, I'm reading the manga so he doesn't have color. The little thieving kid. Yeah. The bat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah, I kind of got that impression. Just like anytime anything is about to happen, sh- the first thing Bat says is, fuck these people. Let's leave them to die, Kenshiro. And then Kenshiro goes and just kind of walks off in the direction. And Bat's like, ah, fuck. Like he keeps forgetting that he's traveling with Kenshiro. Like a, like an evil Jimmy Cricket? A <laughs> little bit. Yeah, he's yeah he's Kenshiro's apathy and self-survival instinct. And, and yeah, so we, we have through all that. And then, like, fucking chapter 23 rolls around and we learn why he has those, do- why he has those scars in his chest, who, what his fucking thing is. And then four chapters later, we, we, over the course of the next four chapters, we see Shin, fight Shin, kill Shin, and figure out that, that Kenshiro's lady friend killed herself after like a month of living with Shin. And apparently Shin has this fucking massive organization known as King that 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 holds control over one of the largest cities left on the in the fucking world. And we heard fucking neither hot neither neither like hide nor hair of him until he is introduced for the purpose of the story and then we get to go fucking fight him and he's done. Then that part of the story is done, his organization is apparently done and never comes up again and then we move on. Like, if they had taken anything from the fucking Mad Max thing, I would have hoped they would have taken, like, any of the storytelling ability of those fucking movies. Yeah, well, th- this is a, a weird cognitive dissonance aspect of um, Fist of the North Star that when you, th- when you think about um, post-apocalyptic series, the best you can usually hope for is, like, a morally debased anti-hero yeah but but aside from being stoic kinshiro is such a lawful good unstoppable badass that he's clearly meant to like go against the grain of what this world is like but as a result the storytelling around him doesn't seem to fit with the kind of world that he's in yeah and he feels like a Mary Sue. Oh, very much so. Or Gary Stew, I think is the male term. Yeah, for that, g- yeah. Either either way, the point stands. Like, he is the youngest of four brothers, but was the strongest among them in order to inherit the only in order to be the only person to inherit the assassination techniques of the fucking whatever their martial arts style is called. Fist of the North Star. Okay. And then he became the ultimate murder man. But don't worry, but don't worry, kids. He's here to help the ladies and the children. He's here to fight the bad men. Using his using his martial arts style that was specifically designed, tailored, and taught for the purpose of assassinating people. Yeah, like I said, there's a cognitive dissonance into how the series is laid out that Going back to Goblin Slayer me. for a second, he is somebody's first D D character. Just yeah, like I have all my all my stats are eighteen except my charisma because that's a dump stat. I made him a rogue. He's an assassin, and and he is like also the fucking like friend of children everywhere. Dog, he's cool cat. Yeah. Ah, Christ. I mean, I don't disagree with you on any of this. I'm just voicing opinions. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I got that. It's 
Fist Northstar is bad. Okay. Just not, not some horrendous, atrocious thing. Just bad. It is incompetently put together, written by a guy who I don't think understands compelling story structure. And who seems to be so wrapped up in the immortal god that is his main character that everything else is just nothing. Yeah. So yeah, this is the North Star. That's all I got. Because I am bad at my job. I will be putting up a review of Karakuri Circus soon. Just... Needed to get a couple other things done first. Cool. And that's good to do for this week. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with more of this shit. Dylan, I'm dead. I'm Birdie. And I got a hot, hot, hot some poop out. See you guys next time. <laughs>